It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The FT. Vodafone's blockbuster deal. What it means for individual shareholders. Why there's less choice these days in self-invested pensions and the unusual asset classes that have trounced shares, bonds and property. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Rob Budden. Hello. Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. And joining us on the phone, Andrew Roberts, Chairman of the Association of Member-Directed Pension Schemes. Hello. First up, Vodafone is one of Britain's biggest and best-known companies. Its mobile phone network is used by millions while its shares are owned by hundreds of thousands of ordinary investors. This week, the company was in the news on account of a massive deal. It's to sell its 45% holding in Verizon Wireless, a US mobile operator, to Verizon Communications, which already owns the other 55%. The price tag is $130 billion. That's £84 billion, making it one of the biggest corporate transactions ever. Vodafone wants to spend some of that money on new and as yet unspecified projects, but it plans to return most of it, £54 billion, or around 112 pence a share, to its own shareholders in the form of a special dividend. What does that entail? We'll get the full details of the plan later this year, but some things we do know already. I'm joined now by Rob Budden, once of the FT Money Parish, and now a specialist in media and telecoms at the Financial Times. Rob, this deal has been in the works for a long, long time. Why has Vodafone decided to offload an asset that in the past has generated some very handsome dividend payments? I mean, essentially, it's been an issue of price. There have been talks on and off between Vodafone and Verizon probably for almost a decade now. I think um, Vodafone was holding out for a better price. It was happy that Verizon, uh, with the latest price that they negotiated or started negotiating in August, and Verizon, I think, really sees a big new future in data. You know, we're going to be using our mobiles for video, particularly out and about. And I think they wanted to gain full control in that new environment. Now, Vodafone have said that the capital will be returned to shareholders via what they term a B-share issue. And this all sounds very complicated. What is a B-share issue and why are they choosing to do it that way? I mean, B-share schemes quite a common method used by companies when they want to return excess capital to shareholders. For shareholders, it basically means you have a choice in what form the return takes. So investors in Vodafone should certainly read the circular that they're going to get in December quite closely. Um, and essentially, they'll be able to decide how they take the pay, whether they incur income tax or capital gains tax, depending on their, their tax situation. 
And there'll also be a consolidation of the share capital, I believe, at the same time. What uh, what does that entail? I mean, essentially, in simplistic terms, what it means is that Vodafone's share price will remain the same after a deal. So even though there's a, a, an effective payout worth about £1.12 a share, the B share issue will mean that the Vodafone share price will stay the same. OK, now as part of whether they take uh, the deal as capital or income, uh, UK shareholders will end up with shares in a US company. What are they supposed to do with them? Well, they can decide. They need to decide whether they want to hold on to the Verizon shares or whether they want to, to sell them. Um, Vodafone's going to be setting up a simplistic scheme so that people can sell their Verizon shares immediately. And some of the things they need to just think about if they're going to hold on to the Verizon shares, they need to be aware that there'll be additional currency risks. And they need to sort of think about Verizon as, is it a good long-term hold? Some people see Verizon about to enter a much more competitive environment. At the moment, it's been enjoying 50% earnings margins and 8% revenue growth. Some people don't think this will continue. Others think we're about to enter this really rosy new world of data on the move and that wireless operators um, you know, will be a, a strong growth story. So it's, it's a lot to consider there. And what about Vodafone in, in the post-Verizon wireless era? Will the shares still be worth holding, do you think? And, and will they still yield over 5%? That's been a big attraction of Vodafone shares in the recent past. And obviously we don't know the exact yield because we don't know exactly what the share prices will be trading at, but they should still be yielding very much similar t- to levels today. Photo announced that it's hiking its full-year dividend by about 8%, so that's, that's um, positive for shareholders. I mean, post the deal, they're going to have a much stronger balance sheet so they'll have more firepower for acquisitions. But if they can't find anything to buy, they could do more share buybacks. That would be positive for, for shareholders. And also, there's going to remain takeover speculation of a Vodafone. So some analysts and investors think that's going to be supportive for the share price. Thank you very much. That was Rob Budden, the FT's media correspondent. And if you're wondering what the tax consequences of the return of capital might be, either here or in the US, then you can find out in this weekend's FT Money where we tell you how to avoid US withholding taxes on your special dividend. If you can't get to a newsagent this weekend, you can read FT Money via the FT's tablet apps, on Kindles and online at www.ft.com forward slash money. If you want to leave comments, you can do so online at the foot of articles or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. Still to come on the show... The asset class that has returned 430% and a whole lot of fun over the past decade. But first, let's look at developments in the self-invested personal pension market. SIPs, as they are more commonly known, have seen huge growth over the past 10 years. Costs have come down, the choice of assets has risen, and savers have been attracted by their flexibility, control and the tax reliefs that they offer. Financial services firms have rushed into what looked like a lucrative and fast-growing market, so both the number of providers and the assets under management for many years grew rapidly. However, that's all starting to change. Smaller players are beginning to disappear from the scene, and the larger operators are becoming less keen to offer some of the bespoke options that attracted some savers to SIPs in the first place. If you want advice, or if you have unusual financial requirements, or if you want to put non-standard assets into your pension, you may find that the choice of providers is getting pretty thin, and that the charges have risen. Why is all this happening now? I'm joined by Andrew Roberts, Chairman of the Association of Member-Directed Pension Schemes, which is an industry body for SIP providers. 
Andrew, why is all this happening now? What has been the, uh, the, the trigger? Well, the regulator has two main concerns about capital adequacy, which is the capital cushion that a SIP company has to hold in order for it to be able to run a SIP business. Um, first is that some SIP companies have structured themselves so as to have artificially low running costs, which reduces the capital cushion that they have to hold. And so the regulator wants to impose a capital cushion based on the size of a company measured by the value of assets. And secondly, it's identified that more capital is needed where that SIP company allows investors to buy illiquid assets. So those companies that allow flexibility um, for investors to choose their assets will have to hold capital of up to six times the amount of those that only allow liquid assets, such as shares and funds. So, for example, the capital cushion for a company that I know with over 2,000 SIPs is about £600,000, and it holds reserves above that as a prudent way of managing its business. Uh, under the new proposals, the regulator would want that company to have a capital cushion of around £2 million. Okay, it sounds that the capital cushions you mentioned there sound actually quite low. I mean, how was, the, how was that allowed to happen, that companies that are offering very long-term uh, investments uh, for people's retirements were allowed to, to operate with, with relatively low-sounding capital cushions? Well, in the past, SIP companies had to be backed by large institutions such as banks or insurance companies. But from 2006, these SIP companies could operate without that backing. Now, the rules actually require a capital cushion based on the cost of running a SIP business for either six weeks or 13 weeks if the SIP company is holding client money. Though there is a £5,000 de minimis capital cushion, um, but that should only apply to a small number of companies. So ordinarily, if you're holding 13 weeks of running costs for a SIP company, that should be a reasonable amount of money to hold in reserve in case of difficulty. Um, the issue is that there are some liquid assets out there uh, which will take a lot longer than 13 weeks to resolve if the SIP company gets into some trouble. Is the FCA worried about the whole of the market or is it, uh, is it just certain segments? So if you have a, a, a SIP, for instance, with a big name like Aviva or Standard Life or Hargreaves Lansdowne, should you be worried at all? Well, those companies uh, are under a different capital cushion regime. Uh, the regulator estimates that about 75 bespoke SIP providers out of the total universe of around 100 to 120 SIP providers will be under the new regime. And it's those companies that the, the regulator is wanting to increase the capital cushion. So it's typically at the bespoke end of the market. Uh, the larger providers operate under a different regime, and typically their capital cushion is going to be assessed as being appropriate for their own particular business model. Okay. And what impacts are these proposals having on the bespoke end of the market that you mentioned just there? Well, the regulator themselves estimated that around a dozen providers will choose to exit the market. Um, so these are about a dozen bespoke providers. Um, and they'll do that, for example, by trying to sell their business. And in fact, this has already started. And we've seen some um, providers um, who view SIP as non-core to their main business trying to offload their, their SIP books. Um, providers that are in a period of uncertainty at the moment whilst we wait the final rules. One key area that we're looking out for is whether there will be a huge increase in the capital cushion required if commercial property, uh, which is a popular investment, uh, counts as an illiquid asset, and therefore there will be an extra capital uh, cushion buffer uh, for that asset class. And what, uh, what impact is this upheaval having on customers? How are they being affected? Well, there are a number of issues. Um, as I mentioned, we've already seen some companies offload their SIP books, and this is obviously disturbing for their clients. 
Uh, but even companies that are carrying on in business, they're reviewing what types of investment they will allow going forward and reviewing their fee structures because having a higher capital cushion increases their costs. So, for example, uh, some providers will no longer allow non-standard investments. Um, there might be a move away from allowing commercial property or unregulated collective investment schemes or gold if those illiquid assets um, are going to mean that the company will have to hold a much higher capital cushion to carry on in business. Okay, and finally, if you're on the hunt for a SIP provider, uh, what are your top tips to make sure that you find an operator that is stable and secure and that you're not going to find that that, uh, no sooner have you signed up than the goalposts are going to move? Well, very simply, at its core, you could ask the SIP operator to confirm its current capital requirement and how much it's actually holding reserve to meet that. You could then go on and ask what the expected capital requirement will be based on the new proposals and finally their plans for meeting that increased requirement. You could also ask um, what their plans are for their investment choices going forward. So it might be that you want to set up your SIP to invest in a particular asset class, which a few months down the line, the SIP provider will say, we we no longer want to have that asset class within our book of business. Now, operators should be comfortable sharing this information as advisors and investors are beginning to ask more searching questions of them. So you shouldn't hold back in asking your SIP operator or your proposed SIP operator to answer these questions about their financial status. Okay, so a bit of due diligence needed. Andrew Roberts, thank you very much. You can read lots more about the changes in the SIP market, including a checklist of questions to ask any potential provider in this weekend's FT Money. And of course, you can check up on the latest annuity rates at any time on our website. The address is www.ft.com forward slash money. And you just need to click on the tools and calculators link. On to our final item for today. Since September 2003, the FTSE 100 index of the UK's top companies has returned around 55%, not including dividends. Gold, despite its recent wobble, has done rather better, returning 273%. But classic cars, assuming you bought the right ones, have risen over fivefold. That's according to the Knight Frank Luxury Goods Investment Index, which has been made available exclusively to FT Money this week. The index measures returns from alternative asset classes such as cars, wine, art, stamps and coins. These should never form the bedrock of a portfolio, but they do have some useful diversifying characteristics, as Lucy Warwick-Ching has been finding out. Lucy, the index shows returns over the past year and returns over the past decade. Let's start with the most recent 12 months. What's top of the pops over that time frame? So over the past year, cars, they're the outstanding assets that have really performed very well. They've returned 28% in the last year. And then there are other assets like um, coins that, you know, it's quite a niche market, but they've returned 9% according to this index. And then wine returned 3%, so not outstanding, but still okay. Then there are other very niche assets like um, jewellery returned 2%, or perhaps stamps, that's uh, returned 7%. So Actually, overall, this luxury index over the past year has shown performance of 7%, which is around what the uh, property market in London has been doing as well. And what about over longer time periods? 
So over the past decade, cars again, they seem to um, really stand out, 430%, as you mentioned, and then um, stamps, 255%, um, art, 183%. In fact, all of these um, items that are on the index seem to have you know, outperformed, apart from antique furniture, which is down 19% over the past 10 years. It seems there isn't as much demand for you know brown furniture. Some of those numbers sound absolutely spectacular what's driven that uh, that degree of outperformance well that's what everyone's been asking really and that's that's the thing that that is interesting people because people want to know is it going to continue and what's actually been driving performance is that wealthy investors i think partly driven by the fact that they are perhaps slightly fed up with not being able to get very high returns on their cash and some of the other assets they may have been investing in. They've actually kind of turned to um, items that they perhaps had a passion for anyway, an interest in. Um, they may have owned some cars already or perhaps some paintings. And, and really, it's these people that are looking for tangible assets that they can actually enjoy as well and, and get some fun out of as well as trying to get a return. Now, comparisons like this are, of course, lots of fun, but uh, finance experts are quick to point out that we should be very careful when comparing returns on these kinds of unusual assets to the returns on mainstream ones like shares or bonds. Why is that? What's what's the problem? Well, there are a few reasons. I mean, apart from the very fact that these assets are very volatile, so, you know, one year you might have, um, or, or even in one month you might see very high gains you know the next month things may crash down again so it's it's very difficult to predict where the returns are going to go but the other thing is that these indexes really rely on focusing on the best items within that sector so uh, often these indexes are based on um, auction houses and what prices they are recording and auction houses will just choose the best items themselves and they'll sell those items so we are very much talking about best in sector and it may be difficult for ordinary investors to actually be able to get their hands on the best in sector obviously that's what we want to do but you know it's more difficult than you think. Okay. Even so, it's nice to daydream about owning a Monet or an E-Type. Thanks again, Lucy. There's lots more on this subject in this weekend's FT Money, and we'd love to hear your views on it too. You can leave comments at the foot of stories on our website, or you can email us directly. The address, once again, is money at ft.com. Other highlights this week, Tanya Poli looks at the shrinking options for older mortgage borrowers, and Elaine Moore looks at the problems that re-registration of assets is causing. My column looks at whether online share dealing really has disenfranchised ordinary shareholders, as some claim, while our colleagues at Investors Chronicle unveil their new select list of the 100 best funds and investment trusts. Don't forget, you can read about money online throughout the week at ft.com forward slash money, where you'll also find blog posts and useful tools like our pension calculator and the latest annuity rates. But until next week, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Rob. Lucy, and our studio guest, Andrew Roberts, Chairman of the Association of Member-Directed Pension Schemes. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.